Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend. Well, isn't it just gorgeous today? It really is. And no better day for the resumption of many participant sports across the country. Uh, the zoo is reopened. Uh, there's also people, you know, just so delighted after months of not seeing friends and getting out and about to be able to do something today. We are on the road back to normality. It will be a slow road. There'll be bumps along the way for sure. But today is a very important day uh, for many, many people. And one of those is the captain of Seapoint Golf Club, because I believe Paul McGrory is standing by to tee off very soon. I better not get in his way. Hello, Paul. Hi, Jerry. Thanks very much for having me on my show. Not at all. You're ready to go. What time are you teeing off at? Teeing off at half two, Jerry. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Absolutely. Blue skies down here at Seapoint. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, just talking to a couple of members going out on the first tee box, smiles on their faces, absolutely brilliant. I believe this morning, and I did use the analogy in my preview for the show, do you know when the cattle get out after the winter onto the fresh grass? You know when they're enclosed? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's great, Jerry. It's absolutely great for our members. Uh, it was a long wait, uh, the lockdown, four months, no golf, and just to see a smile on our, on our C-Point members' faces this morning, coming in, driving in and having a chat with them. Absolutely great. And there's been, you know, a, f- a couple of false dawns. You thought actually you'd be open about a month ago, but that didn't materialise and then you had to wait yet again to today. Look at you're a golfer. You are captain of the club. Did you really miss it? Like, do you really miss this when you're into it big time? Oh, massively, massively. It, it's, it's even more than golf. It's, it's about the people's mental health. And just the norm of meeting people uh, playing out on the course and afterwards and just having a chat. It's, it's really, uh, it, like, like any sport, Jerry, golf, people that play golf, that, that's their hobby. You know, it's, it's, it's everything to, to them. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's everything to the members. Mm. Uh, I know what uh, you're saying. And I think the point you make there as well, it is a game, of course, and people love to play it and play it to the best of, the, of their capability. And it's a game for all ages as well. But, it, you know, you point to something there, I think that's the biggest thing that's dawned, Paul, in a lot of people. It's that meeting people, saying hello, having the chat, the social aspect of it. It's all all about that, Jerry. It's it's uh, it's a family orientated um, 
Golf Club Sea Point, and uh, it's just it's great young old to be down meeting, get the clubs out, and uh, back out playing again. The course is in magnificent condition, and I just want a, a big thank you to, to the Sea Point Course Management Team, Jerry. They've done a superb job working away during the lockdown and the course is in fabulous condition. It's like going out in Augusta for the Masters, you know, and it's been yeah. manicured. <laughs> exactly. Actually, even better. Yeah, it's just brilliant. And, and ready yeah. to go. But that's an important point to make as well because, yeah, and, and you're right to credit and all maintenance staff across all the golf clubs in the country should be complimented as well. They've worked away because you have to because Mother Nature doesn't hold back, Paul. No, it does not. No, the, cu- the cutting the grass, the feeding of the greens, you know, all the work of the fairways, the divot repairs, all of that. It's tremendous, you know. But people, well, obviously the, play- the people that play golf would know all about that. But, uh, you know, it's no, they've done a great job. And uh, it's it's great for the game of golf and great for, for members that we're back playing, we're back at last. It's absolutely marvellous. Are you operating a, a restricted menu at the minute? I mean, in terms of, you know, people love to play in four balls. It's two ball at the moment and uh, you're trying to get as many out. Is that the idea on the yeah. course to play? Yeah, there's the two balls, front nine and back nine at the moment, the first two weeks. And it's just to do with the guidelines. And it is, it, it's a good point you've made, Jerry, that um, we it's, it's, it's very important that we play safely and our, and our members uh, adhere to the, to the government's uh, and golf iron guidelines and it w- please God we'll get back to three ball in in, in, in a couple of weeks time and yeah. then it'll move on slowly but safety is foremost for our, for our members mm. and uh, to remind people again yes it is two ball and there's no uh, touching the pins or anything like that the same safety as uh, prevailed when golf was open Paul last year continuing this time it's continuing on yeah safety foremost Jerry. yeah no we, 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 we've got to keep to the, adhere to the rules uh, because safety, it's 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 paramount. Yeah. yeah. Now the oh, first right. tee, the first tee, Paul. I'm no pressure on you now. I know. I'm just looking at the no. clock here. It's <laughs> coming round fast. You know, when you get up on that first tee and it's in your mind, will I get this one just down the middle and straight? Oh, that's all. That's all I've been thinking about. We'll have, oh, look, it's great. It's just marvelous. I, I it's it's. Um, I can't wait, Jerry. It's just brilliant and. Uh, anticipation of people's faces. We, we, we've, as I said, we've, it, it was tough. It's tough for everyone. And the pandemic has, we, we've all suffered in different ways through this. And to get a sport open like golf means a lot to people. And it's just great. It and, is. Uh, Jerry, I'd just like to, for, for, from the lady, Captain Elaine, and myself, just to, to welcome back all the members of Seapoint and just thank our members for the loyal support despite them not being able to play golf over the last four months it's much appreciated and the work done has the committees ladies men's and the joint club have done with the with the the management team has been tremendous even though all this work goes on we still have to meet and we still have to carry on our duties even though we were closed which you know has been great good people down in seapoint golf club and it's uh it's all positive that's great to hear. Right. It's great to hear, and well done uh, on mentioning all and sundry who've been patient, who've played the part, who've been on all those Zoom calls. Don't talk to me about that stuff, anyway. Anyway, there's no Zoom today. It's just out on the first tee, and away you go and enjoy. Exactly. Paul, listen. Yeah. Good luck to you, everybody at Sea Point Golf Club, and all the clubs across the northeast and beyond the who are back in action today. 
Jerry, thanks very much. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Thanks you. for joining Thank me. Bye bye. That's Paul McGrory there coming to me live from Sea Point Golf Club. He's there already, and I've been hearing word back from a number of clubs this morning that it is just to behold. Everybody arriving on their tea times. There's no using the clubhouse. No food concern. There's no showering or anything. You arrive, you go out and play a game, and you head off. But it's just great that first step has happened. Now from golf to Dublin Zoo and a man who must be over the moon as well today. He's a zookeeper there. Brendan Walsh, hello again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Good to hear from you again. How are you? I'm great and I'm delighted to be touching base with you on this day. He has crashed the world the other day when he announced that the bookings were uh, to be made online. I never thought I'd see that day. Yeah, it was bizarre. Like, I've seen the, the tweets on the internet about people comparing us to Electric Picnic and Westlife concerts from the 90s and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it was great that, that, that people are, are, are really looking forward to coming back to us. And, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks, all those people that want the tickets will, will get the tickets thereafter. Now, tell me, uh, similar, talking to the Golf Fraternity a moment ago, yourselves and the business you're in, of course, the public visiting is a huge part of what you do. From two aspects, you know, from the animal's point of view, do do they sense, do some of them understand or might have been a little bit off because there was nobody around the place? I definitely think all animals notice uh, our visitors, that's for sure. Um, And I think think most animals um, aren't too phased if they're there or not. It's only, it's only a guess, of course. Um, but I do think some animals really enjoy the visitors. Um, definitely the orangutans, I'd always think of, even long before COVID. I always thought, like, on, on quieter days, and I always thought the orangutans, you know, miss the visitors. And, and like, Kasaibu, or a big male, some people might be familiar with him, <coughs> amazing animal. He's um, He always seems to... You know, not always, but he, he always seems quite drawn to, to certain women with long hair, or especially long, uh, dark red hair. Um, they're often he's often quite keen on them, and then but like all the animals are, are often watching us as well, like what's going on. And and remember, it's not just the sight of us; it's the sound of us, the smell of us. You know, their their vision is often quite different to ours, often quite better than ours. Their sense of smell is better than ours. So I do think visitors coming in do bring an extra enrichment uh, for animals. And of course, all our animals were born either in Dublin Zoo or other zoos, so they are quite used to having people around. Yeah, of course. And yourselves, Brendan, you mentioned there, you know, and and that familiarity with uh, the creatures you care for is, uh, of course, so important and that bond. But your, you know, interaction with the public or seeing the public coming in, enjoying those wonderful animals you look after, big, big loss for yourselves, too. Absolutely, like you know, obviously we were there essential for us to for us to continue. But even just from like a, a personal point of view, yeah, I really enjoy uh, you know the visitors in. I'm, I'm standing at the tapers now, and I can see lots of families going around, and our cafes are back open and all that. And I've, I've genuinely missed them, you know, like everyone has missed so many things this year. I love talking to the, to the visitors. It's one of the things I enjoy about the job, as well as being around the animals. Um, so I'm genuinely over the moon, you know, to have to have visitors back. And the sun is beating down here at the moment. Hopefully, it's the same where you are. And it's um, it's it, it's a it's a great day. And you know, we're genuinely chuffed to be here. And let's really hope that you know this is the start of a new chapter now. That like you know, the zoo and other uh, attractions around Ireland are going to be staying open for from here on in. Any new arrivals in the last six months or so, or any big news on that front? 
Um, yeah, there's, there's all, you know, I don't think a year ever passes. You don't have a few new babies. Um, a new Simon Gibbon was born, and actually, they've just been called there. You might be familiar with the Simon Gibbon call. It's really loud, and you'd hear from you know a few kilometres away. And they were calling more loud and for longer than all than I've heard all year. So whether that's down to visitors or the weather, or mm. they're just feeling romantic or territorial, I don't know. But they were definitely uh, much louder than normal. They have a baby. Um, that was born in the last few months and uh, a much smaller primate called a Geldy's Marmoset which is a little small monkey that would fit in your hand they had their first baby um, just after Christmas as well and that baby's getting really big really quickly as well so it, there's a few new animals and then of course our baby rhino our baby oryx our baby elephants um, our baby gorillas they're all getting you know bigger so anyone that's a regular visitor when they come back they're going to know what it's uh, different in size but they're all they're all still fairly small but they've definitely gotten bigger since since people were last here the circle of life, it goes on in the Phoenix Park, in the zoo, uh, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, and year on year. For people listening today, you know, who didn't get a booking or who are planning visiting the zoo over the coming weeks and months, it, it has to be said again, like the golf, uh, you'll never see a day uh, for the foreseeable future where the place is jammers. Yeah, that's it. It is going to be busy now. Of course, um, we are sticking with um, reduced capacity. We're yeah. down to... We're, you know, a lot, lot less people were letting in than normal. So for some people, that would be a, it would be a joy to have the place a lot quieter than normal. True. Um, and it's 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 it's, it's um, staggered entry as well. So you're given a certain time to enter um, the zoo, and then the zoo is open until five. Last admission three thirty, and and we open at nine thirty. And then the only way you can get tickets is through DublinZoo.ie. And we're not selling tickets at the front gate, of course. And um, you know, a lot, it's a one-way system, the safari trail, like it was last summer. So at least this time now, we're a lot more familiar with, you know, how to do it. It's our second time around doing it, so we feel we're, we're more experienced at it now. Um, plenty of signage, and then we've got um, hand sanitizer stations as you go along as well. And, of course, virtually the entire day for visitors will be outdoors. Um, obviously, the toilets are still open. Our cafes are takeaway. And then um, the only buildings that will be closed um, will be the South American House and Jurassic World and... Um, the gorilla house actually as well, but they they should be outside um, most of the summer. So you, you, most visitors won't miss out on on many animals at all. Virtually all our animals will be will be viewable. Sea lion feeding time still happening. Uh, well, they will be getting fed, but there, there's no set times anymore. Okay. Of course, we we can't do anything. Yes. That, um, uh, oh, gathers know, people. Course. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, but of course, obviously, all the animals are still getting all the the, the feeding and, and enrichment that they would have before. But we can't do it at set I times see. anymore, unfortunately. But you know, I, I do I do think having come through the zoo myself with my own family, um, there is something nice as well about the one way system, and it's a kind of a more simplified day. But I'd imagine once things government guidelines allow. I'm sure the zoo will want to, you know, we'd be delighted to get back to the keeper talks. It is great to, you know, really highlight an animal situation and talk about the behaviours and would you like to see the elephant feed, you know, hose them down and watch them go for swims. And actually the elephants were swimming yesterday. Um, so, you know, I'd always recommend to people when they come to the zoo, go nice and slow, take your time um, and, and, you know, get the most out of your day. Absolutely. And I say it again, it is part of growing up in Ireland. You must visit Dublin Zoo. You just must. I, I, I can remember it myself, my first ever visit, and it's a place I've always loved. And yeah, I'm sure we remember the story last year when uh, the great Irish public, uh, Brendan, just came in behind you with so much support. That must have been so encouraging for everybody. It was. I mean, it meant a lot. We know how hard it's been for like everyone in the country and in different ways for different people. And, you know, for people to, to dig deep like they did, we got nearly 2.7 million. Like, I don't, 
we never mentioned uh, figures in our head, but we, mm. you know, we, we never imagined what we get. But we just thought, well, hopefully some people might be able to afford, you know, five euro, ten euro, whatever they, whatever they could afford. And you know, the, the the money we got was unbelievable. And like every letter we got, we read. And some children giving their pocket money and all the sort of stuff. So like, it really put, it puts a lump in your throat because you really appreciate, you know, uh, what was going on. And it was great motivation to to keep fighting on. And you know, we were we were so fortunate that we, you know, for, for us keepers especially, we were able to come to work every day and. You know, that's something I was grateful for because I, I certainly wouldn't be keen on staying at home every day and I feel sorry for people that had to. But, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, it, was, it was great that we got that money to keep ourselves going. Um, and, you know, I'm confident now that, you know, with, with the zoo opening properly now from today um, and hopefully, you know, we won't have to close again. You know, you know the, the next conversation we'll be having is that the zoo is going from strength to strength, I hope. Ah, <laughs> oh, for sure. Listen, thank you indeed. I appreciate your time today on this auspicious day when the zoo reopens and I wish you and your colleagues and everybody there all the best and we'll see you soon. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. You too. Take care now. Bye bye. That's Brendan Walsh there, zookeeper, talking to me from uh, outside one of the enclosures in Dublin Zoo today. Yes, things are happening. We're getting back. Come on. We have got to keep the chin up at this time and believe that with time we will get back to that sense of normality that we all crave. Late lunch, LMFM radio. I have a conundrum for you in me kitchen. I want you to help me. Stay with us. I'll tell you about it in a moment. I arrived home from fishing last night and my kettle was booked. The kettle's not working. Gone. No teeth this morning. Uh, uh, well, the pot. You know, got mm. the pot out and put it on the cooker and heated the water. a bit more grumpy. Uh, <laughs> 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 I have to replace my kettle. So here's my conundrum. Do I go for a cheapie or do I invest in a good kettle? What do you think? Mm, well, look, you're going to have hard water around here so you're always going to go, you know, have that problem with lime scale. But so our lady candy. last week told us lemon juice into the kettle, boil it, and you can keep your kettle right. Mm. So do I invest now? Have you an investable kettle or a, a cheapy kettle? Do you mind? No, me I've middle of the range. Okay, so you're in the middle yeah. as well. I wonder what should I do? Should I go for the cheapy? I think the one I have was uh, an every little helps kettle. You know what I mean? Uh, do you get one to match your deck? Decor. I, I'd be like that, you know me and yeah, OCD. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be watching and have to match the, ke- the toaster. Yeah, and I have a toaster that they're always giving out about. Anyway, um, what do I do? Cheapy, middle of the road or invest? I, I'd say nowadays kettles are chuck away. So people probably just buy the cheapies now, do they? Would you think most people buy the cheapy kettle? Uh, no. Would you not? No. I wonder. I don't think so. I think it's an exception. Okay. Okay, well, I wonder, can you help me? What do you think, folks? Have you a kettle that gave you a little bit of time and has lasted well or a brand or something you'd like to recommend? Tell me, help me here. I'll, uh, I'll, or I does anyone have those, you know, the kettles that you actually put on the stove that used to whistle? Ah, the old ones. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Yeah. Uh, there's still some of them out that they put on the cooker. I know, I remember the whistle. They yeah. give the whistle when they, were, when they were boiled. But what I'm as talking about, an electric plug-in one, right? The, the electric kettle that boils up in a, a couple mm. of moments. What do I go for? What should I put my cash into today the Cheapy, the middly, or the top of the range. Hardly, I wouldn't say anybody has an electric kettle for a number of years now. Would that be fair comment? You know, for beyond... More than two or three years? I'd say there's very few people yeah. have an electric kettle beyond two or three years. Very few, I would say, at this stage. I'd say that's a thing of the past for sure. They seem to be designed to go for as long and then they go. But I'll be guided by you if you can help me on late lunch. I love your opinions and advice. Let me know. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me 086-1800-658 or 1850-715-958. We have iced tea today. call in number. <laughs> well, I won't be having chicken. <laughs> 
And I don't know why I'm asking you about kettles. <laughs> After what you did the weekend, tell them. Tell them what you did with the chicken the weekend. I, I thought I was, you know, I'd get ahead of the posse and I'd put the chicken in the oven early in the morning. <laughs> and I completely forgot, forgot about, about it. the chicken in the oven. How five, long was the chicken in the um, oven for? Five hours. <laughs> <clears throat> Incineration. <laughs> There's a book, you don't know this, there's a book called Roast Chicken and Other Stories. You add the other story. That's a famous book by Simon Hopkinson. Do you know that? uh, I would know about it, obviously. What was it like when it came out, do you mind? Yeah, it was actually, I don't think it can burn chicken, like burn it, burn it. It was fine, just put a load of tomato ketchup or mayonnaise on it and shove it in a wrap. Oh my God, this is is what treaded chicken is now. Five hours. (laughs) My kids are still alive. Are they? That's good. That's, that, but that's, 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 that's very good, sort of. That's very important. They go to the neighbours for dinner. No. Five, five hours. <laughs> Roast chicken. What did you say to me earlier? She's going to write a book called Toast Chicken and Other Stories. <laughs> Toasted chicken. Oh, my, oh, my. Anyway, anyway, you're great. You're great. Anyway, <laughs> and they're all well and all healthy and everything. Anyway, me kettle conundrum, if you can help me, what do you think? What should I do? Spend the money or save? Go for a cheapie or whatever. Let me know. 086 658 Coming up after two on late lunch, Aileen Rogers is joining me, her dad, John Cameron's story. It is remarkable. But taking us to news and weather at two. Yes, there's one song for today. It's bursting out. The sun. Oh, you're so good. Anything I ask you, the response is fabulous, I have to say. My kettle conundrum. Firstly, Angela is enjoying the book she got from us late last week. Delighted, Angela. Enjoy, enjoying the back garden as well and the lovely sunshine. Jerry, could you go fishing yesterday? Yes. Once it's within 5k, uh, you can. Fishing has been open for weeks and weeks now. The 5k limit in your local area, if you're within 5k of a water, you can go. Uh, and that's been there. You mightn't have known that, but that that has been the situation. Can't travel, which is driving us all mad with the Mayfly coming up on the Western Lakes. Uh, but locally, you can. I have my kettle, iron, uh, washing machine for 20 years. Spend the money, Jerry, says a listener. So there, if you invest, it will last. Middle of the road in my book, Jerry. Don't go the cheapy. Don't spend too much. Middle is just fine. I got an Argus, a cheap one, four years ago, and we have water softener. It might make a difference, says Kathleen, but uh, four years is a good one. Uh, A cheapie, says Josie. Uh, I bought one for €100 uh, over a year ago. It didn't last no time, Jerry. Got it cheapie. Sorry, I beg your pardon. I got that 100 one three years ago. Got it cheapie then two years ago, says Josie, and it's going fine since. Sabichi all the way, says another listener. 10.99 10.99 from Woody's. It's a cracker. Another one there, Jerry. They all last about a year. I change mine when I get fed up with the colour. <laughs> I love that one. Well, fair juice yet, Jerry. Go for a Tesco one. I have mine five years now, says Ursuline Dundalk, and she's flying. More messages besides. I'll come back to them in a little while. I promise you. Listen to this. No mother, no father, no siblings, no idea of who I was. Or where I came from. Contemplate that for a moment. Those are the words of John Cameron. In his absolutely brilliant new book. Boy 11963. His number when he was in Artane Industrial School. His daughter Aileen Rogers joins me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Hello Aileen. Hiya Jerry. thanks for having us on. Not at all, you're very welcome to the show. Just to tell our listeners, your dad, he has health challenges at the moment, that's why you're doing the talking on his behalf. 
Yes, unfortunately, he developed Parkinson's a number of years ago, and then more recently, he developed um, Lewy body's dementia with it. So it means he's not really able to articulate. So he sent me in his shoes, and hopefully, I'm doing a good enough job for him. <laughs> Wait till I tell you, like daughter, like dad, and your father is such a remarkable man. Mm. Here's the thing: when you read his backstory, which we'll get into in in a moment. But you knew nothing as his children of this growing up. No, we had absolutely no idea. Um, we, we knew he'd been in an orphanage and we had been given the story that his dad had moved to America and died in a car crash and that his mother had died in childbirth. And that was as much as we were told or as much as we knew. Um, we had no idea. Um, dad kept it private, kept it secret. And even with my mom, she was never allowed to speak about it. She obviously knew, but he wouldn't let her tell anybody. So it was he kept completely secret all his life. And what a life he made for himself. A much-loved school teacher with a lovely family, a man that people regard so highly. Do you ever consider how much of a challenge or what would I say, a, a difficulty it was or whatever for him to keep this all within for all these years? Well, it certainly was, um, and, we, and we know that many people who come out of these institutions didn't fare so well. They yeah. went the other route. But my dad obviously had some innate ability to bury it. But that's not to say it didn't emerge. Like he had many occasions in his life where he had black moments and where he would have mental breakdowns. And um, I remember the very young child um, being told to leave dad alone. He was in the bedroom. But curtains were closed and mom would say no your dad needs some time away time out and so he did have very dark moments but um we never knew what was causing them obviously and um yeah so he 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 did emerge and he had great empathy with the with the students he taught he worked in Ballyfermot so he always encouraged the lads to stay in school as long as they could and as far as my dad was concerned education was the way out of anything and um so we always encouraged the lads to stay with it and he understood the myth. They came from difficult backgrounds. He was always there to listen to them. So he was a, a remarkable man in that way. Mm, and he walked the walk before he talked the talk. He was orphaned at a very young age into an orphanage. Then mm. he went into child labour. He was a child labourer, what, three, four years of age? At age three, what the state of those days, you were put into an orphanage and you were kept there until you were age three. And then at age three, you were put out of your a child at nurse. Um, so you were put out to an orphan or to a foster family mm. and they were considered the respectable poor. But reality was that these children were nothing more than child laborers. My dad from that age was out digging furrows to put the potatoes in and the turnips down and he had to change the chamber pots for the couple he lived in who were, were very um, unsavoury individuals. The man who, um, the father of the foster home was an alcoholic. He had a criminal record. His wife was, um, I suppose she was, I can't explain how she would be, but she had no affinity and no empathy or no love for my father. And they, he would have slept out in the shed. He was put, The old man was in a wheelchair and he'd have to push the wheelchair. And it, it's not like the fancy wheelchairs they have nowadays with mm. the old rickety wooden ones. And he'd have to push him up and down. And bear in mind, he was out in Sandford, which was countryside in those days. So it wasn't on a path. He was pushing him up the mountains, up the laneway. So it was a very harrowing experience up to the age of eight. 
And then from the frying pan to the fire, from there into Artane Industrial School. And I, I just want to quote these words. You know, the, look, we, we, we now know, thanks to your dad and others, what went on there, sadly, physical, mental and sexual abuse. But mm. the, this line, I think, sums it up uh, about some of the, well, a lot of the brothers that were there. Bible in one hand and the torture strap in the other. Yeah, yeah. My dad... You know, fear was every day and you know, you learned to live with that level of fear. And mm. so the exceptional things that stood out were the really horrid events that happened. My dad was beaten with the leg of a chair one time because he couldn't remember his number 11963. And that's kind of how the, the title of the book came around because he was beaten senseless that and he ended up in, in the infirmary. He still has the scars on his neck and his back today from that beating because he couldn't remember a number. Um, he was humiliated. Uh, the whole thing about the children in these places where the majority of them actually didn't have a criminal record, but you had to have a criminal record to be put into these institutions. And the Ryan report showed that oh, less than 20% of them actually had a record uh, uh, um, had been juvenile delinquents. But my dad was had to go had to have a criminal record and the record that they gave him was that he was found begging on the street which was a child in alms was the title of the record he had and so that record followed my dad all his life and and begging on the street was basically the state had to provide for him because he had no family to provide for him so they twisted that around to say he was begging and so that followed my dad all through his life he had that record while he was a teacher and prevented him from being promoted. He often went for vice principal or principal of schools and he never got it. And in the end, it came out. He was told by one of the interviews at one stage that it was simply because of his criminal records that he had been in in Artain. And this was one of the reasons why my dad never wanted anybody to know he'd been in that institution was because of the shame and the humiliation that he felt having been there. And, you know, it wasn't my dad's shame to carry, nor any other child who'd been in these places. They all have had that shame. And yet, it you know, it was something that he had no control over. And yet it, it followed him throughout his life. Isn't that just so sad? It really mm-hmm. is. And mm-hmm. how that hung on him and nothing to do or nothing about him at all. Now, going yeah. back to why he was orphaned, of course, <clears throat> he didn't know, but he, he went in search of this ultimately. But it goes back to 1930s Ireland and a love affair that broke up two families. Yeah, it was an incredible story. My dad and mum had obviously been trying to find his parents, my dad's parents down through the years and had found themselves in many dead ends. And um, they'd talked to many people, gone through many archives. Um, They found his godparents and they had given him the name of his parents, but they were never able to actually track down his parents. And eventually, back in 2002 or three, I can't remember exactly year, he got this phone call to say that um, I think I'm related to you. And that unraveled the whole story of what ended up being my dad's backstory. His parents were both married to other people. Um, his mother had married this man who was 20 years older than him and he'd moved off to America. And she had had some dispute on the land. They had a farm in Longford and there was on the land so that she'd contacted the husband in America and he said go contact the local um, accountancy office and see what you can do and through that process she met this man called William Cameron who was also married and his wife was dying of cancer and he had four teenage children and they fell in love she had um, she had two children previously from her first marriage and then she fell pregnant with um, her William's 
um, daughter and she wrote to the husband in America and tried to get him back. We don't know what she said to him. But anyway, he came back and the theory was that she was going to tell him that the baby when it was born was premature. But he came home from America in May and the baby was born in December. And then obviously Hugh, the husband, said, I'm not having this. She's not my child. And subsequently, then he decided to divorce her. And it wasn't divorce as we know today. It was um, a divorce from bed and board. And um, he brought her to the high courts in Dublin. And that unraveled another story, which was a very interesting one. It was the first time um, blood, blood DNA was, was used to determine the paternity of a child in the Irish courts. And um, it was just uh, a huge scandal. The Irish Times alone wrote about the, wrote about the um, events 44 times in their paper over the period of time that the divorce was going on. So that gives you some idea of how yeah. much of a scandal it actually was. Yeah. Um, and the judge in his wisdom said, you know, this science is fantastic, but it's not, it's too new. We can't rely on it. And he sided with the Hugh, the husband from America. And so Elizabeth, my dad's mother, lost everything and the farm. She lost no, she had no income, no nothing. And then um, she went off with William to Enniscorty. And that's, she was pregnant with my dad, actually, when the divorce case was going on. Mm. But ultimately, it meant that your dad's life would change forever because yeah. of the circumstances. Can you imagine yeah. that? Like, even today, it would be some yeah. story, but you can only imagine of the time, Aileen, yeah. how... Oh, yeah, Sensational. It, mm. it really was. And, mm. and of course, William Cameron was a Protestant as well. So she was not only having his child out of marriage uh, through uh, extramarital affair, but she was having it with a Protestant. So you can only imagine the scandal that that added to it. And so much so that the bishop in Longford was actually sent up to her house at one stage to tell her to stop the affair with this man because of his bringing scandal on the town and you know everybody knows everybody well felt everybody else's business was theirs back in those days and this that you know women it was of its time i suppose really you would have called it a very magical love affair if it wasn't for the children who had suffered because the two yeah. children she'd had in her marriage ended up in um in um institutions as well and the child who was born who the divorce case was the result of she ended up in in an institution and then my dad ended up in an institution so the children were the ones who really suffered and mm. you could have sympathy for the woman because it was of its time and she was shunned and you know n nowadays if if a husband had left you for seven years he'd sort of say well she's entitled to do yes. you know she hasn't been around yes but the reality was that it was the children who suffered in the end and after they they put my dad into into an orphanage they went they got back together again um the priest in Enniscorty had told um my dad's mother that she had to give up this protestant man and this baby if she was to get reconciliation with the church so she did that for a year but she got back with William eventually and then they went on to have four more children and lived a very happy normal family life afterwards and never went back for the four children oh my oh my isn't it isn't it an incredible an incredible story and of course 
your dad's resilience through his life and then to go back at a stage to start researching this and find and make contact. And he has made contact with siblings and half-siblings, hasn't he? Yeah. He has. He, he ended up being one of, one of 12 siblings, both full siblings and half-siblings. Siblings. And he made contact with five of his sisters and one of his brothers. And they, to this day, unfortunately, three have passed away, but he's still very much in contact with three of his sisters. And they have been absolutely wonderful. They've opened open arms, welcomed him with open arms, and he loves them dearly. And they've made such a, a, a fabulous um input into his life and uh, you know with the Louis bodies now unfortunately comes very bad vivid um, hallucinations at night time and so he gets landed back in Artain and to you to him it's as if he was back there it's as if he's an eight-year-old child again and he can smell Artain he can nearly almost taste it and he can feel the fear but now that he has his sisters and and, and has found his roots when he wakes up he, you know it makes such a difference to him knowing where he was. And he's an incredible man. He has no animosity towards his mother. And I'm not sure whether I would be that gracious, you know, yes. to, to have gone through life like that. And, you know, subsequently to have had more children with the same man. It wasn't as if she'd gone off and had an affair with somebody else. But he has no animosity. And his only regret is that he never got to hold his mother's hand. And, you know, I think that's a real mark of the man that he's been able to be that gracious and to forgive and have mm. no 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 anger no anger or animosity it is yeah. a, a gift indeed i don't think i'd be able to do it myself no. to be honest with you but no, he is either. just quite unique how is he just before we finish you know and, and we know what he has and you mentioned at the the start of our conversation there that that's why you're talking to me but in mm. a general sense is overall He's he's absolutely in great form. He yeah. actually had COVID in January, oh and my. we yeah we thought he was going to pass, and he, he was in hospital for two weeks. But he's now recovered. I don't know what's in the man. His mother died at the age of one hundred and three, so I think we're going to have dad around for us for a long time yet. <laughs> but he's great. He's actually he's so overwhelmed with the reaction to the book, and we're getting constantly getting messages from people who have read it who are saying, you know, that has helped me so much or I now understand my partner more. And, you know, you're getting so much, he's getting so much um, love and affection from the nation that he's completely overwhelmed by it. But he's so, um, closure is the word you'd say, he's so happy that he wrote the book now because originally it was just so we, the family, would know. But now the wor- the nation knows, the world knows, and the generations to come know. And I think it's very important that we listen to these children who are now adults who will soon pass on and with them will go their stories. So I think we really do need to listen and give them the respect that they deserve and hear what they have to say and take on board what what they endured. Well said. He'd be so proud of you doing this job from, I have to say, he has a great representative and I do want to credit Catherine Rogers as well, who did a wonderful job uh, with this book, with your dad as well. We have to acknowledge her too. I think the the line on the front does sum it up. Even Mm -hmm. the darkest hour is not without hope. I think that really sums up your dad. And he is one of those people who've spoken out now for posterity. And it's fantastic that he has. It's a brilliant book. And I wish him, you and your family all of the very best. And say thanks to him from all of us uh, for doing this. He's done a great service. 
Thank you so much, Jerry. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Take Thank care, you. Aileen. Bye-bye. Take bye. care, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Aileen Rogers there, John Cameron's daughter. This is an outstanding book. It really is. I'm going to give it away. I'll tell you how you can uh, pick up this copy in a moment. If you want an inspirational read, this book is it, Boy 11963. I'd like to give it to one of you to enjoy it as much as I have. And you can have a copy of the book today. All you have to do, his number, John Cameron's number in Artane was 11963. Take all those numbers and add them up. What do they come to? 11963. Add them together. What do they come from? That's the answer I'm looking for with your name and details. Get them into us. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. And I'd be delighted to put this book in the post you. You will enjoy. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But it's so uplifting as well. Add the numbers. What's the total? And let me know. Oh, Louise, they've gone kettle mad in late lunchland today. You got loads of advice. Just remind us, we were talking to the lady, what was her name last week, about the, the kitchen cleaning hacks. Oh, oh she I was God. the queen of clean. The queen of clean is right, is her name. Lindsay Crombie. And do you remember, just, uh, I think I remember this, um, this uh, listener wants to know, did that lady last week mean lemon juice only? She says, no, you put water in. Diluted it, yeah. And you dilute the lemon. You get that squeezy plastic lemon. You know, it's mm. not, you don't be standing there Pancake squeezing Tuesday lemon. Tuesday plastic. Yeah, you know that plastic lemon that Louise uses in our kitchen mm. all the time. <laughs> there are such things as real lemons. Just like, I'm only cotton, I'm only cotton. Um, but, but you can't cut the plastic one. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. Don't do that. Or don't rub the plastic. You know the way they say you rub it. Or don't try to grate the skin of the plastic either. That is lethal. Don't do that. Anyway, that, that lady was just saying there as well that she's bought both, you know, a cheap and an expensive kettle and just they're also noisy they are noisy yeah, okay. <laughs> by the nature of kettles they do boom it out of it uh, Brendan's on from Longford, Longwood hello Brendan I have a kettle nine years still going strong but I did pay expensively for it uh, says Brendan so there you are mm-hmm. putting money into it Tesco Steel Kettle says another listener 20 euro lasted a few years well worth it you have something you're recommending an Argus thing to me are you yeah to get one there's one redu- reduced in Argus you were saying is there there's yeah one. there's um, Russell Hobbs is something like 12 oh, it's good quid brand. off it's about yeah, 30, yeah. I think it's in around 30 quid now. Well, there's a good one there. Hi, Jerry. I have my kettle at least five years. It's a Russell Hobbs, completely clear, and it lights up blue. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's, yeah. Now, that's me. I go for I go for yeah. that knacky colour stuff when it's on. It's 1.7 litre. I think I spent around 60 euro, but I have to say, I can't fault it at all, Jerry. Five years. Jerry, get the cheap one. With the water we have around here, which you were talking yeah. about, the, the the hardness of the water. Um, where do we go? Uh, cheap kettle for seven years and it went at the weekend. Oh, oh. just like my own. It was from Aldi. Uh, I also bought a, a kettle toaster and a microwave oven to match it. So there you are. That's from Pat there saying his kettle went. He has to replace it. Uh, there's somebody talking about a pink gas one, TK Maxx and a yellow one. Uh, I got as a present to match me Delonghi ooh Delonghi toaster oh you're very posh <laughs> you really are with your Delonghi I think it's erring on the side of going for the cheap I suppose though as well it depends on how much you use them you know the way some houses 
you know, never pre-lockdown stop. are, you know, in and out and in and out all the time. And yeah, put some the people drink on. a lot of tea. Put the kettle on. Remember the old horse? And we'd never put a shilling on him. And he would. Jeepers. Anyway, Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Helena Giles is joining us shortly. She's an autism coach and she's going to be talking about the challenges facing parents uh, with autistic children. That's coming up on Late Lunch soon. But uh, taking us uh, towards our 230 sauce. Yes. Why else has I heard this one? It's the Jackson 5. Blame it on the boogie. Must have been the boogie did me kettle, was it, last night? That boogie got into the electric somewhere. Have you noticed the moon? Did you notice the moon the last couple of nights? Well, watch the moon this week because it's just sensational. It's called a super moon. And we've heard about this in the past, of course. But just to draw your attention to it. And the skies, well, they've been clear the last couple of nights. They will cloud over later tonight. Still say you'll get a good look at it. I was watching it last night and it was just spectacular. It really, really was. But keep an eye on the skies this week. It's super moon time over Ireland and the world. Well, probably the way it works here. We're seeing it. They'll see it in other places at another time. Now, my next guest is an autism coach and she works with the autistic community right across life, from early learners to adults. She is a family member with autism. Therefore, Helena Giles wears both hats and she's with me on late lunch this afternoon. Hello, Helena. Hey, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. It's great to talk to you again on the show, and especially this month, because this is Autism Awareness Month. Can I ask you to begin with, right, uh, you parent a child and you also work professionally in this field as well. Parenting a, an autistic child, the skills, they're quite different. What do, what do you need as a parent of an autistic child more than, you know, most Um, Well, I suppose parenting in general is one of those wonderful life-altering moments that doesn't come with a rule book. Um, And as the years go on and you have a child with a diagnosis of autism, you certainly don't have a rule book. Um, And there's a whole separate skill set that's involved. And in the last 15 to 20 years of being involved in the autistic community, The most common word or phraseology that comes up all the time, both from just engaging with parents socially and in my work, is that need to fight. Um, That need to fight for services, trying to secure educational placements, sometimes even fighting for a diagnosis in the first place. Um, and, And that in itself takes, you know, a particular skill set. Whose door do I knock on or kick, as the case may be? Which one do I walk past? Where do I put my time and energy whilst trying to balance um, being a parent and, you know, not getting caught up in being the perfect parent, being a good enough parent and trying to navigate all that that entails and maybe having a couple of kids or juggling a job or a relationship or leisure activities and, um, So it can take quite a toll. And I think it's really nice coming towards the end of this month in particular to do a little piece on parenting, health and well-being. Yes. Um, And I guess that's where my interest is. I've been very blessed and fortunate to work within our community, like I said, right from early learners um, to the adult population. And, you know, it's a real gift and a joy. And I've met wonderful people along the way. Do you know what saddens me? 
because I had that question that I'd say I, I would put to you at some stage this afternoon, you know, about support and services and backup and everything. Are they enough or adequate? Obviously, you've just answered that from a different angle, fight, when you say you have to fight. Isn't that just... Oh, look, how many times has this come up in life and especially in the health area, uh, you know, that people have to fight and fight tooth and nail for basics and what they need, uh, you know what I mean? And in your case, to support your child and all the the children like them. Um, look, you know, that is, that is something that is a, a matter of fact and a fact of life for people. But in terms of, you know, parenting a child and having other children, as you mentioned there, Talk about other children for a moment in a family with a child with autism. Yeah, well, well, just to go back to the previous point on fighting for services, I always take an opportunity to say make our public representatives work for us. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and definitely engage in that process. Yes. Um, and absolutely, they can be a drain on resources right across the board. And, you know, there's lots of lovely awards during the year that recognize young carers and young heroes, the siblings of brothers and sisters yeah. in our autistic community. Um, and, you know, there's very many pluses and positives of growing up with a child with a disability in your family. Um, there's great learning and opportunities for compassion and those people bring out the message into the world of all the wonderful things that our artistic community can achieve um, with supports when needed. Um, and very often not in other cases, there can be a very stereotyped view of what autism looks like yep. um, and what that narrative might be. And we're shaking that up year on year, but we've a lot of work to do still. Yeah. Um, about you know, what that might look like um, mm. for a person. You make um, a very you know. good point there about children in a family, of what it gives them. It gives them gifts in another sense that that you touch on there, which is uh, something really special. Just back to the children themselves, Lena. Uh, early intervention, I take it, because you work across the spectrum from a very, very early age. Vital and, and plenty of it and enough of it and what's needed. Um... No, is the very short answer. Uh, We we have a huge drain on our resources in the early years. And, you know, depending on where you are geographically located, that Mm. waiting list could be longer. You could be looking up to two years for speech and language therapy or psychology services. Um, And I suppose that's the piece about, you know, parents of newly diagnosed kids. I know I was certainly quite naive way back when and assumed when there was a need that the services would be there Mm. to back it up. Um, And unfortunately, they're not. Like I said, there's a lot of good work has been done, but a huge amount more to do. Um, And and even something as basic as, you know, when a kid comes up to the age of three and you're thinking, getting all excited about your little one going off to play school, very often there isn't spaces for our children, even that early on. Well, that's um, terrible. Like, and, and, you know, it's an indictment of us as people as well that that is the situation. Because like anything, early intervention is so crucial and can make a huge difference through the life journey. What about the parents? Let's talk about the parents because you touched on this uh, a few moments ago there. Parents of children. What about parents and support for parents themselves? We were talking earlier today and you mentioned this other word called the word guilt uh, in terms of looking for support and help. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a very nuanced skill set to have to get up every morning and do all the things that we all do in our days and have this extra role. Um, And, you know, I I want to make it very clear that that's not specific to having a child with a a disability or any, you know, slight on Mm. on an individual in our community. But it is the reality is there is an additional role required to secure the supports and services. That constant battle and struggle to feel, am I doing enough for my child? Have I done enough? Did I miss something a couple of years back? Perhaps I'd already be in the system by now. Do I know who to talk to? Somebody else seems to be able to access things that I simply can't. Do I need to move house? Is this the right school? Am I giving my other children enough time? Am I taking time for me? Is there other supports and things I should be doing? Can I financially afford this? This is an endless cycle. And there are only a few of the questions that are asked. Is this the right intervention? Am I dealing with the right people? Am I going down a cul-de-sac? Or is this, you know, a highway of getting the absolute right services for me and my family? Um, and how do you look after yourself on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know, can you carve some time in? I, I speak to parents time and time again who will never miss an appointment for their child, regardless of where it is and how many mountains they have to move. But if I suggest having 30 minutes or an hour just once a week for something for them to do for themselves, to nourish them, they won't have the time and yet they would never miss a child's appointment. So it's about creating opportunities. You know, what would support look like for you? And not everybody understands autism and that's okay. So maybe they're not the person to have a chat to, but maybe they'll make a really good casserole that they could drop in on a Thursday night or perhaps they could come over and mow the lawn and give you half an hour. There's lots of ways that we can support each other and support people within our community without having to be an expert or a professional on autism. And kindness costs nothing and goes such, such, you know, a long way. It can be a smile across, um, you know, in, in the shop or across the yard at school or I noticed you're doing a really great job or, you know, the, a text message, a quick phone call, just understanding the really basic stuff. And I think COVID, you know, this last year has brought us all, given us all an opportunity to go back to basics. And we can see how much that social interaction and contact means to all of us. Mm. So, you know, if you know somebody and with an incident rate of one in 65, we all know somebody not too far away with a child, a family member or a person themselves. It could be an autistic adult. Um, you know, just take that extra time to, like I said, pick up the phone, send a text message, make a call. You know, what if you were in that situation, what would you like? And we all, you know, love compassion, kindness, understanding. Um, and when you're having a, a, you know, a tough day or perhaps put down the phone to be told, no, there's absolutely 18 months waiting list. You know, you're not, as was said to me a few times, why should your child go ahead of anybody else's? It's like, that's a battle for another day mm. for everybody else's child. But you can imagine in that moment um, 
having somebody there to lean on or having that support or care network yes. for a parent, how important that is. You know, I'm sitting here just enlightened by what you've said and I'm sure listeners today it's uh, a light bulb moment has come on in, in many heads about this because if you can't you know tackle the system and it is difficult I keep hearing this from you all of the time now those gestures we can do something without being within the formal you know uh, structures of uh, the state that are there and supposed to be there to support people who badly need it but that's a great thought to carry with us that you know make the pot of stew cut the grass make a call can i help you can i do something for you i'm sure it makes all the difference you've been you've been someone that's experienced that i'm sure absolutely and you know i've met some amazing people some lifelong friends um along this journey Um, uh, met a few people I probably mightn't want to meet again, but that's just human nature. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Don't we all, Alina? <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real. <laughs> I can and, understand. Um, and there's, you know, there's fabulous people who go out of their way and, you know, creativity. Mother is the, and in, our, in, you Necessity. know, lacks. Uh, that's absolutely it. Um, and very often charities fill in the gap or local community groups will fill in the gap where services are not provided and very often they're parent driven as well, which in itself takes up, you know, another amount of time, energy and resources. And, you know, regardless of having a diagnosis or not, we none of us get through life without needing support at some level on some day in some way in our lives and we're very grateful and thankful when it's there so this is just you know taking that a little bit further yeah, yeah. um and knowing what to do at a given time i understand that what you're saying and you're a fantastic advocate i have to say for uh, an awful lot of people who are listening to us today if people want to find out more about you or listening today you've prompted something where should they go for you know to pick up the phone or send an email or make a contact Absolutely. You'll find me, um, Helena Giles, the Autism Coach on Facebook. My number is 086-074-4814. I also provide training for professionals. I've teamed up with Therapy Academy to provide online training for professionals. And like I said, take time for yourself and take time for each other and the, Ireland is a small country and the autistic community are even smaller and they're really good at looking after. We look after each other, yes. but we're always very grateful to have other people take a moment and look after us too. For sure. It's been great having you with me this afternoon. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure your words will help many, many after this chat with us on Late Lunch today. Helena, nice to talk to you. Take care of yourself. You too, Jerry. Thanks a lot. Take care. Not at all. Bye bye. That's Helena Giles there. Wonderful lady. Helena Giles, autism coach. You'll pick her up across social media. No joy for Ireland at the Oscars last night. Wolf Walkers from Cartoon Saloon. There were great hopes for it, but uh, didn't make it. But wonderful, wonderful to get a nomination for the Oscars. I never realised that Glenn Close, you know Glenn Close, the, the bunny boiler from Fatal Attraction? Yeah. She's never won an Oscar. Never. 
She's been nominated eight or nine times and she ha- I thought she'd won oh, at some stage. I thought she stage. had gone yeah, at least one. Yeah, she was nominated again and, and didn't make it. The big winner, of course, uh, was Nomadland with uh, the brilliant Frances McDormand picking up an Oscar and many others as well. It was quite different. Did you see any? We just saw some clips on the news of mm. uh, quite a different setting in a train station and bit different altogether. You couldn't beat it when they're all on the red carpet and the place is packed. No, I think people watch it for the whole... Yeah, and you have a funny host or hostess, you know what I mean? We're mm. having the crack with the audience and that as well. And of course, the political messages. Yes, they got out there for sure last night. On this day, did you know this? It's a, a bit of a coincidence, isn't it, really, with the vaccine being rolled out for the COVID. On this day, in 1954, trials began for the polio vaccination. And wow. polio was wiped mm. out with the vaccination. Just to cop that today, back in 54. And it's also the anniversary today of the world's worst nuclear disaster mm. at Chernobyl. You were talking about horses there last week, weren't you, to me? Were Wild horses, horses are back, yeah. At Chernobyl. They've populated the area, yeah, on the site there. But it seems and fauna and flora in it, like all the abandoned buildings yeah, the, uh, are just yeah. growing there. 28,000 years, there won't be people there for, they say. Ah, should we won't be worried about that, will we then? I don't know what they'll be reporting at that stage, but it's in a, on a serious note. Shocking, 1986 uh, today. We have our own Raisa Carolyn here in Trim, who's doing so much work. Mm, yes. She came over yes. from one of those orphanage, That's orphanage right. number three. That's right. Uh, you know, and Isabel San Roma. Mm. takes you know uh, yeah. goes and takes people over here every year as well she's a wonderful lady we have great people in the North East supporting the people of Chernobyl still to come on Late Lunch my artists of the week they got their name from a cartoon character in the dandy when you add one one nine six and three you get twenty that's the answer I was looking for the book is called Boy One One Nine Six Three by John John Cameron and today I'm sending a copy to Joyce Condra Joyce thank you you indeed for entering and getting the answer correct and to everybody else who did we had loads of people looking for the book Joyce is the lucky one today the book will be winging its way to you Joyce a little bit later on now at this time on late lunch since the start of the year uh, I've been uh, picking an artist of the week and playing a track from the artist each day and telling you a wee bit about them the story paraphrased by myself and this week I'm bringing it all back home to one of my favourites of all time yes my Artists of the week this week are Thin Lizzy and Lizzy were formed in 1969 when school pals Phil Linnett and Brian Downey joined forces with Eric Bell from Belfast. The band's name. Interesting, isn't it? Where did they get it? Well, it came from the Dandy comic and a robot called Thin Lizzy. T-I-N. They just put the H between the T and the I and away they went. That's where the name came from. In July 70, they released their first single called The Farmer. Now, rock group, The Farmer, which sold only a few hundred copies. But listen to this. If you have a copy of The Farmer by Thin Lizzy in an original, you have a valuable record, I can tell you. It's a real in-demand collector's item today. They moved to London in early 71, signed with Decca Records and released their first album, which did okay, gathering great support, however, from legendary DJs John Peel and Kid Jensen, who played them regularly. In late 1972, a UK tour with Slade and Susie Quattro gave Lizzie great exposure. And with the release of Whiskey in the Jar in early 1973, the band's Profile and popularity was on the up. Do you remember them on top of the pops? Oh, I do. They went to number six in the UK charts. However, Eric Bell quit to be replaced briefly by Gary Moore before Lennon and Downey 
We're joined by Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, who would bedrock Lizzie in an era of hit albums and singles. And today, I play my first of five from Lizzie with one of their quintessential rock tracks. Jailbreak, Lizzie, first of five this week on Late Lunch. Love that song. 1976, the uh, title track from the album of the same name. More about the lads tomorrow on Late Lunch, round about this time. Lovely messages coming to me here on Late Lunch this afternoon. Want to read this one to you that's come from Rome. It's from Fiona H in Rome. She's from Drogheda. And she was listening to Helena Giles a little uh, earlier on in the show. And she says, Helena is so right. We can always be more forgiving to others than we'd be with ourselves. So someone is always ready to help. And it only takes to ask. Costs nothing and you can always give back. And I just think, Jerry, today of the Drogheda Dolls, that group, aren't they so giving of their time and everything else? They are indeed. Lovely to hear from you from uh, Roma this afternoon. Love to go back there. Please God, I will someday. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Up next, after our final break on this Monday, there's a lovely wee girl called Abby Gleeson and she's looking for our help. Will you hear Abby Gleeson's story and to tell me more, her uncle Stephen is on the line. Hello, Stephen. How you doing, Terry? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Tell our listeners about Abby. I know she's seven years of age and she lives with a rare condition. She does. She lives with a condition. She was uh, she lives with a condition called KCNQ2. It's a, it's a very rare uh, condition. Um, it's a ge- genetic disorder. Um only seven seven hundred people worldwide is affected with this. Um, it affects the potassium channel in our brain, which is uh, responsible for speech and movement and other stuff like that. Um, Abby had a seizure when she was first born, which damaged this channel and has left her with um, no speech. She's unable to walk. She's unable to talk. Uh, she's unable to eat. She's fed through a peg and. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. Mm. She's she's totally dependent on care of other people. So yes, she is. And I'm looking at a picture of her here, and look at the smile of her. You know, oh, for yeah. all she has to carry and live with. And I know she goes to school, and she loves school, and missed it when it wasn't on. But she looks so beautiful and bubbly. She is. She's very bubbly. She'd she'd light up a room in seconds. Like she would definitely light up a room in seconds. I. When Mr. Bean is on now, she she definitely light up her own. She's she's fascinated with Mr. Bean and yeah. Mr. Pig and Ed Sheeran like that, you know. Yeah, I know she loves yeah. Ed Sheeran and his music as well. Now, look, the reason you're talking to me today, this child needs uh, a specialist, you know, uh, place of her own in her home. And with that in mind, three years ago, the family shelled out a lot of money to have an extension built for her, especially for her. They did correct. They they shelled out nearly forty thousand euro, thirty seven thousand euro for um. It was for Abby's own special room, so it would be her own bedroom, her own washroom, because um, she'd need a hoist to get around, and she'd have her own storage room for all medication and clothes and stuff like that. And they applied the thing that nothing all I was the county council down in Avon. Yeah. Um, for a grant to get um an extension built, so. The county council uh, gave them twenty eight thousand for it, and um, they got a builder in, and the builder completely destroyed the place. He left the he left the building where the roof was leaking any time it rained, and um, the insulation it was absolutely freezing. Like uh, 
the, the, the place is freezing and there's just mould absolutely everywhere mm. from the dampness. It's coming up from the ground, it's coming in from the roof, it's coming in everywhere and it's just absolutely freezing. It's, it's unsuitable for, for anybody to live, never mind a disabled child. It's shocking that that this has ended up in the situation it has and I know the family put everything they had into it as well they applied for the different grants which they got but they put everything all of the savings into this for this little lady and uh, look at the the issue with the biller is a separate issue altogether and and, and that's um, a side issue to this the problem is that this room is leaking it's cold it's damp and this child is suffering because of this. Has she not suffered enough in our, our life without, uh, you know, this type of thing? So with this in mind, um, the family have set up a GoFundMe. They, they set up a GoFundMe, exactly, yeah. There's, uh, it's, it's to get Abby our, our own special room, like, uh, basically to get the, the extension fixed up that she can, that it's functional for her to live in. Yes. And, you know, in, in fairness to GoFundMe, we've raised €5,800, uh, and so far we've just got the roof resealed and very kindly, somebody um, actually donated um, a hoist to newer around, which which can't be installed yet on on the room is up to living standards, and yes. the bathroom as well needs to be done. Yes, so there's a bit more work to be done and a few more bob to this account would be a real help and get the room fixed up that it's warm, it's dry and it's fit for purpose uh, come later on in the year when the weather changes again. So there's plenty of time to get all this, this work uh, done at this stage. Um, so the, the GoFundMe is help get Abby her own special room. That's help get Abby, A-B-B-I-E, her own special room and it's on Go fundme.com and every euro as I always say would be really appreciated by the family isn't it shocking to think in life that there are people will leave you in a situation like the family find themselves uh, now Stephen oh yeah it's shocking yeah it's absolutely shocking like um, there's there's eight people living in the house so it's 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 quite cramped as it is so she really does need her own her own special room like mm. for, for, for her own mental health and physical health she really needs her own special room and Anything donated would be very much appreciated by the family. I, like I, I set this page up myself because I didn't want the family to feel embarrassed by setting the page up themselves. You know, they're they're a very proud family. So mm. basically, I set it up on my own behalf to, just to help the family out. Oh, you're a good man, and well done to to you for doing it. And I do know that they're a lovely family and very quiet and very private themselves, but. They're in a spot of bother here. And I still, I'm looking at her smile at me here again. She's just got me. She's got me. She really has, little Abby. She has. Yeah, so look at folks. Anything you could do to help this wonderful family would be appreciated. Help get Abby her own special room. GoFundMe.com. Stephen, good on you. Wish you well. And hopefully you'll uh, get the jobs done. And uh, this coming autumn and winter and next spring will be a much better time for Abby and her family. Hopefully. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thanks. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Stephen Gleeson there with an appeal on your late lunch this afternoon. Help get Abby her own special room. GoFundMe.com. That's almost a lot. If I could only remember, Louise, what's on the show tomorrow. Well, it's Tuesday. I take it Paul Moyne will have a word with us. Absolutely. Paul's in there. <laughs> He's there, is he, for tomorrow? Yes. Mm-hmm. You have your lovely story from Drogheda. Oh, With yes. the song and the... Oh, listen, yes, we have a great story about a poem written in Drogheda that's been turned into a, a wonderful song on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. You're going to hear about that on the show tomorrow and... 
We have um, Keen Byrne, who walked from Baltray over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, this fellow walked the whole coast, didn't he? Right Did up you? along the coast. And he's going to tell us the story about it tomorrow. And he believes, you know, right on our doorstep, you know, even when lockdown is lifted, Look at we what have we have and what we have going for us here. It's huge, isn't it? It really is. It really is. So that and more coming up on your late lunch tomorrow afternoon. Anyway, have a nice Monday evening. Enjoy the weather. A little bit of a downer tomorrow, but I think she'll pick up after that. A bit chillier, but still, don't see a lot of moisture coming our way. Remember the moon tonight. And remember, Eddie Caffrey's here next with the drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio, but we leave you in the company. Yes, yeah, stay with us on LMFM. It's Sam Smith. Stay with me. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211, Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.